The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live. For answers, take 7-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everybody, how are you doing out there? It's a nice day here in Idaho. Let's see. All right. So, hey, look, if you want to give me a call, five open lines, 877-207-2276. If you want to watch the show, um, all you got to do is go to carm.org, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G. In the right-hand side, you'll see the... Uh, uh, you'll see the link and stuff like that for us if you don't, to watch it. I'm sitting here in the studio also, or actually the office. And if you like to chat with people, there's a chat room there too as well. Okay, now, get this. Um, so, CARM, the website, used to get, oh, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 page views a day. A page view is when someone comes in looks at it, say, one page, and then goes to another page and looks, goes to another page and looks. That's three page views. So one person could do three page views, or three people could just look at one page each, and that's three page views. So each time a page is accessed. And I've been keeping records uh, on this for, I don't know how long, uh, 20 years, 25 years. And um, so lately... Uh, we've had a, a change in technology, and lately, the uh, the traffic is increasing drastically. And so we're really encouraged about that. So the articles, the information, uh, is going out uh, a lot more, and uh, we're grateful, and we just praise God for that. And so, uh, just a little something, just saying thanks, you know, for all your prayers and support. And which reminds me, now, in my opinion, <laughs> I'm, you know. It's just me, you know. I, I I'm not really uh, confident in our government. In my opinion, I think things are going to get worse, and uh, before they get better, uh, so the recessions here and, and stuff. So, but nevertheless, what I'd like to do, what I need, not a lot to. I don't really don't like to actually, but I need to. I just need to let you know that um, we could use your support if you want, and you want to consider supporting us at five dollars a month. It's not very much. If you would kindly consider that, all you have to do is go to carm.org, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G, and on the score uh, forward slash donate is all you got to do. On, on the home page, though, it's also in the bottom left. But just forward slash donate, you can set things up, and that's what we ask, $5 a month, because it would be helpful. And if we get uh, enough people, all we need is 1,000 people doing $5 a month, and that would actually cover what we need uh Let's just say because things have gotten a little tight, and that's what we need. Uh, it's not like we're out there doing helicopter rides and uh, free trips to Disneyland or anything like that. Uh, I haven't even had a raise in five, six, seven years. And so that's a good thing that Medicare, uh, what did Social Security for me is coming up in a, in a while, and so that will help out. But nevertheless, we do have missionaries, and if you're so interested and so inclined, would you please consider just $5 a month, and you can stop at any time you want. Just go to carm.org forward slash uh, donate, and that would be great. Let's get to Rudolph from Raleigh, North Carolina. Rudolph, welcome. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Doing the flood of Noah, did the fish die? Well, I suppose some fish did, 
but uh, I don't think there was any necessity for Noah to have fish on the ark. Okay. Are you there? Yeah. Are you there? I'm just, okay. I'm just thinking. I was just thinking. Okay. Because, you know, in uh, in the, the categorization that is used in, in the Bible... You know, whale is considered a fish. Now, we call it a mammal, and people will say, oh, see, it doesn't even know what a fish is. The Bible's just wrong. No. Uh, if it categorizes, if it has a word, then it uses all those things swimming in the ocean, and that's what its word is. We just translate it into fish. It doesn't mean that they were wrong. It just means it's a translation issue. They didn't have a, defin a definitive categorization techniques that we did, so uh, that we do now. So, a whale, for example, wouldn't be needed on the ark. Uh, you know, killer whales right, but and dolphins. For, right. But remember mm -hmm. that uh, the word says that God says that everything that had the breath of life in it would die. Right? So wouldn't that yes. include mammals? Well, it could include insects. It could include microbes. But you see, what does it mean by the breath of life? That's the question. If it has a breath of life, so do plants have a breath of life? I would say not, but they are alive. So what about fish? Uh, I don't see them as having that breath of life either. So uh, undoubtedly there were fish that died, just as normal things uh, die uh, in normal situations. But I, I don't see any necessity of any fish uh, being uh, needed beyond the ark. So I don't see okay. any problem. Okay. okay. Well, well. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. No problem. That. But it's a good question, man. I never heard anybody. I never heard anybody mention it. So I was thinking about it, and I would not do it if anybody knew. You oh might yeah, know. you can go to ICR Institute for Creation Research. They discuss this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And you see, I, then there's I, the issue I, of salt, I, I, saltwater fish versus freshwater fish, and they have an analyses about that the thing because if there was a flood it was a flood of of fresh water from the skies what about that would get into the oceans would mix but it caused fish to die well then there's some adaptation uh, issues that would be uh, worth discussing like for example in Nicaragua there are two lakes Lake Managua and there are freshwater sharks they're actually sharks and they live in the lakes now how'd they get there right well, it looks uh, like they well, came from the ocean Go ahead. But you know that the bull shark can live in fresh water and salt water too. Because down here in North Carolina, they found a bull shark from the ocean in the Cape Fear River, and it was 27 miles from the, oh, yeah. the ocean. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, they I, can live in fresh water. Yeah, yes, they can. Uh, they are uh, quite capable of doing that. I've known, I've read lots of stories of sharks doing that, moving upstream quite a bit. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, okay, so, but thank you and God bless you. Talk to you soon. Okay. I will try to All get right. on there and donate to you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, All sir. Right. God bless you. Bye bye. God bless Rudolph. Appreciate that. All right, where's my mouse on my screen? There we go. There we go. I have four large monitors, and that's the mouse gets lost. All right, three open lines if you want to give me a call. 877-207-2276-L from Georgia. Welcome. You're on the air. Yes, good evening, Matt. I know the Bible teaches that, that you're saved by grace through faith alone to get into heaven. 
So how do you balance the verse from Matthew 11, 20, verse 24 and 25? How do you balance those between the Ephesians 2, 8, 9? So Matthew 11, 24 and 25... Uh, nevertheless, uh, more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Uh, I praise you, Father of heaven and earth. So I'm not sure what the problem is because it's just the issue of Capernaum and the miracles, and people were rejecting the miracles that Christ is performing, and he condemns them. So even Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented if they had seen this. So I'm not sure how it relates. So what about if a person. Well, well, so what about how do you say, how do you say what the Bible talks about? You know, if you accept Christ, you get you to heaven, but that you don't yourself and turn your cross daily, you know, you're not, you know, but Christ said, you know, you not, can't be my disciple. So if you don't deny yourself and turn your cross daily to follow him, then you, you're not disciples. That means you can't go into heaven either then, right? If you don't deny yourself daily. It doesn't mean those salvation parts, not by works. So how do you balance that out? Well, Jesus isn't saying that every single day uh, with to do this. Now, he does say daily, but when we say every single day, what if you're in the hospital? What if you're uh, recovering from a sickness or surgery? Uh, does that count? Well, no. What he's doing is he's talking about the issue of, of regular, it's supposed to be daily in a normal situation, you're supposed to be living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all that he's talking about. Okay. Yeah, but okay. if, a, if a person doesn't want to follow the Lord and do the, do the things that was that, that that shows proof that you're a Christian, I'm not understanding you. I'm not understanding. I'm not understanding. it's breaking up. Okay, if I say okay, if I say I'm a, I Christ today, then I say I'm a Christian. I'm going to have I'm, 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 I'm performance or nothing. Okay, I'm not. Alberto, Alberto, I'm not understanding you. Okay, it's breaking up, and there's there's noises, and I'm not able to understand you. Okay, so call back, maybe get a better connection. Okay, Alberto. All right, man. Whew, I couldn't understand him. All right, hey, four open lines, eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. Let's get to William from North Carolina. William, welcome. You're on the air. Hello, Mike Flick. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I would like to ask you in Genesis. 3.8, is the Lord appearing in the garden, walking in the garden, is that a um, is Christ in the Old Testament? Yes, pre-incarnate uh, manifestation of Christ, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, so, and, and I'm just going to ask this in general. Like, in general, in Genesis, when um, Ab- uh, I'm sorry, when Lot is joined by the Lord, in or the angel of the Lord, I believe it says, and mm-hmm. uh, is that also Christ? It depends on the context. I, I don't have all of those instances memorized, so I can't tell you. But there is... I, uh, I guess that my question is, is anytime there's an anthropomorphic, um, an anthropomorphic, uh, like uh, Israel struggling with the angel, is, mm-hmm. is that Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes. Uh, so Jesus says that no man has ever seen the Father, John six forty six, And Paul, in 1 Timothy six sixteen, uh, in the context, is saying that the Father dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. He's not, pos- it's not possible to see the Father. That's what the 
Bible says and Jesus says no one's ever seen the Father. So who were they seeing in the Old Testament? Well, they were not seeing God the Father, but they were seeing God Almighty because we know that from Exodus 6, 2 and 3, where God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. So he appears, and there's other verses, I can quote those to you, where he appears. Now the Holy Spirit manifests in flame and uh, wind and things like that. So that's the typological manifestation of the Holy Spirit, never in a, a humanoid or called anthropomorphic form. And since the Father can't be seen, uh, that leaves out uh, two out of the three ones left. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. It's simple. So, yeah. Okay, and so going back to Genesis 3.8, my version in the American Standard Version says, Jehovah God called to the man and said to him, Where art thou? So Jehovah God being the highest name of God, you're saying that's Jesus, which would be consistent with what John 1.1 1, 1 says. Would you yes. agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that's, that's really where I was coming from, because I was seeing where in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, and the Spirit was moving along the surface of the earth, and so I'm going, okay, I got God, I got the Spirit, and then Jesus in John 1.1 1, 1 says he's there, Boom, we've got the Trinity right there. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, it uh, depends on how you want to go with it, but yeah. So you think about this. Um, and right there, incidentally, this is for the Mormons who might be listening. Uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God. It's actually in Hebrew, uh, Jehovah Elohim. That's who it is. Jehovah is Elohim. First Corinthians 8.60. But uh, when we get back to the break, let me uh, talk to you about who was in the garden with Adam and Eve and what that means, okay? Hey, folks, four open lines. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. I want to hear from you. Give me a call. We'll do right back. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. If you want to give me a call, we have four open lines, 877-207-2276. All right, let's get on the air back again with William from North Carolina. Welcome. You're back on there. Okay. Now, we're talking about, they're called Christophanies. Okay. You there? Hello? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, I'm here. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. So let me explain a little bit more about them, okay? Because uh, it's really an interesting study, actually. When you go to Genesis 3, uh, the one walking with Adam and Eve was a pre-incarnate Christ. And he is the one who instituted the gospel, the Proto-Angelia. The first mention or the first idea and aspect of that gospel message was instituted by the pre-incarnate Christ because Adam and Eve sinned and they hid themselves, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And the fig leaves are a symbol of their own efforts and their own works. And they're done in sin. And so what happened is the, uh, the Lord, uh, pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord, took away those fig leaves and covered them with animal skins. The implication is that the animals were killed. Now, sin entered the world through one man, 
Adam, Romans 5.12. So sin had already just entered, and so there was death coming. And so even though the Bible does not say that uh, the pre-incarnate Christ killed an animal, uh, which I think is really interesting uh, because I don't... Let me take a risk here. No one dies in Christ's presence. In the pre-incarnate Christ, I don't see any instance where anyone dies. And so I think this kind of a thing is carried over to the idea of animal sacrifice, but I, I don't know. I still got to work on that. But nevertheless, so it, the idea is uh, you covered him with animal skins. Probably an animal died in the process. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, without the shedding of blood is no forgiveness of sins. So... There, they were covered by the work of God, not by the work of their own hand. And this is uh, really important because this is the first mention of the gospel concept of justification and salvation by the work of God, not by us, not by our works covering ourselves with our own works combined with what uh, God did, because that's what false doctrines are. And all kinds of churches teach that, that you're saved by your faith and what you do in your sincerity and your goodness before God. Well, that's just exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. They covered themselves with their fig leaves, and God rejected it. He covered them with animal skins, the shedding of blood. And without the, forgiveness, uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So there, we have right there in the garden, the pre-incarnate Christ instituting the gospel message in the garden. And don't forget, in the garden is where Jesus sweat blood and was in prayer with the Father as he began the atoning work, or getting ready to accomplish the atoning work as he went to uh, Gethsemane. Okay? That's just one of the points. Interesting? Sure. Are you there? Yeah, can I ask a follow-up? Sure. Can you hear me? Yes. I'd, I'd like to follow up with this. Um... It says in, um, I'm sorry, in Exodus 33:20, it says, you know, you mm -hmm. cannot see my face, for no one may mm -hmm. see me and live. Yes. Right? Go to verse 11. In yes. Genesis 32, 30, mm -hmm. it says, um, I'm not, I'm sorry, in 33, 11, it describes Moses speaking to God face mm -hmm. to face. Mm -hmm. So was he speaking to Christ at that point? All right, so the Trinity comes in and, and aids us. So in Exodus 33.20, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. All right, so who's speaking? Now, that's what's interesting, because he says you can't see my face. But nine verses earlier, in verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. So what does the phrase face to face mean? It means personal encounter. It means personal encounter. So I've done, a, done research on uh, the phrase face-to-face. -face. It does occur, I think, 11 times in the Bible. The Lord spoke to you face-to-face -face at the mountain from the midst of the fire in Deuteronomy 5, 4. Well, wait a minute. It wasn't like God had a face. So it's an expression of personal encounter right then and there. So when it talks about God talking to Moses, you can understand. See, that's Exodus 33:11. But also in Exodus 24, 9-11, it says, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of, of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hands against the sons of the nobles of Israel, and they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. And if you go to Numbers chapter 12, verses 6-8, through after Miriam... Uh, and uh, Miriam and Aaron were a little bit uh, irritated that Moses had married a Cushite woman. She happened to be black, incidentally. It's at Numbers right. 12, 3, 12, 2. 
but that's not the issue why they were upset because he was not a specific Jewish uh, lineage that kind of a thing but anyway so God says hear now my words if there's a prophet among you I the Lord I Jehovah will make myself known to him in a visionary dream but not so with my servant Moses he is faithful in all my household with him I speak openly and not in dark sayings and he beholds the form of Jehovah so Moses saw God but it cannot be the Father because Jesus says in John six forty six, no one's ever seen the Father. So, what's going right. on? We know that the Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we know that the Trinity is eternally existing. So when we see in Exodus thirty three eleven, God spoke to Moses face to face, it doesn't mean that, that God has a face. Now Mormons will say, Yeah, he has a face, he's a God a body of flesh and bones. He's six feet tall, you know, and, and that's not what's going on here. So what it does say in Exodus thirty three twenty is uh, you can't see my face, right? But if you read the context, it says he put him in a rock, between a rock, and then the glory of God passed by him. So what's going on is it looks it's like, trained. yeah, right, yeah, and what what looks like is happening is the uh, the Lord. I put it this way, the Lord is communicating with him not in a physical face-to-face -face manifestation, which would be a Christophany, but in another way of communication, as in Moses being face-to-face -face with God in the burning bush. And so the encounter is right there. He says, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So God doesn't have a face. So why is God saying that? Because the face represents the personhood and essence of what a person what someone is as you see them you recognize them and that is not to be with between the father and the son I and mean, be the father and, and people so it could be with pull these things out and, and see which one sticks to the wall it could be that the father is speaking in one context and the son is speaking in another the pre-incarnate Christ so these are it gets complicated but these are uh, some of the things I've been thinking about for decades on, on these things and I can go into other verses that should talk about this too but yeah no you've answered my question um, bless you and what you do and um, people out there uh, send your support hey appreciate that and by the way William on CARM is an article just look up the plurality study plurality study I've got to go it in. up right now I'll do that alright because there it is I go through this a lot in there with more verses alright okay buddy God bless. I'll talk to you again I'll see you in the air <laughs> okay man alright God bless man alright hey let's get to somebody um, after the break so what can we say here there's a break with the bottom of the hour give me a call three open lines 877-207-2276 we'll be right back Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Bottom of the hour. Give me a call, 877-207-2276. Let's get to Renee from North Carolina. Renee, welcome. You're on the air. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I hear you. So what do you got? Hello? Hello, I'm. I hear you. Do you hear me? 
Oh, okay. Hello? I'm sorry, I couldn't okay. hear you. Um, so right. how are you, Matt? <laughs> I'm fine, by God's grace. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. So, quick question. I was listening randomly to Leighton Flowers, and he talked about yeah. the conundrum of Calvinists. Is that, you know, in he the doesn't know what he's talking he about. Answers the question. Right, I know he did, and I just I just was randomly yeah. listening to him because I like to listen to yeah. all sides of everything. So I was listening to him, and the conundrum is why did Jesus have to speak in parables if those who aren't elect are spiritually dead? So regardless of what he said, because they're not yeah. regenerate, they would never mm-hmm. respond. So what was the purpose of speaking in parables? And I think I remember hearing you talk about this before. But I couldn't remember your um, your explanation of that, so... You yeah. can give me an explanation. I would appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to. But Leighton needs to stop what he's doing, and uh, he needs to stop attacking Reformed theology and causing division in the body of Christ in his ignorance. He's been corrected so many times, and you know I've met him in person, and he's a nice guy. But he needs to to uh, stop doing that because he's causing problems in the body of Christ. That he and I need to need to have a public debate on this issue. We need to deal with them. But nevertheless, uh, so this is a typical thing. Now, what Jesus said in John in Mark four ten through twelve, they ask him, "Why are you speaking in parables?" And he says, "To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may not perceive, and while hearing they may not hear and understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven." So why would he do that? Because he speaks in parables specifically so that people will not be forgiven. Well, wait a minute. So, so what Leighton and others will say is, okay, if someone's elect or not elect, then why speak in parables or not? Well, for one thing, they speak in parables because only those who are given the ears to hear and the eyes to see by God, because God grants that they believe, Philippians one twenty nine, and not as Leighton says, God grants the opportunity to believe. That's that's what he does. He changes the text, and I know he does. I've I've talked to him about it, and he flat out changes and alters the word of God. He's got to stop doing that. So. What happens here is Jesus is speaking. Now, he's God in flesh. If Jesus commands something, because he's God, it'll occur. So he speaks in parables so that the non-elect won't hear that command. They won't come because not chosen by God to be saved. It's perfect. It makes sense. Because if he's going to speak in, in absolute truth and say, you need this, you need that, you need that, okay, then they're going to have to come to faith. But there's the non-elect, so God hasn't ordained that they hear or grant that grant that faith to them, so they're not going to believe. So he speaks in parables to hide that from them. That's all that's going on. Okay? Okay. Makes sense that now that when you started talking, I said, okay, that's the truth. Because like I said, I think I remember hearing you saying that before, but I couldn't yep. specifically remember everything. So makes sense. All righty. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I wish he would stop what he's doing. He, you know, there's so many people who attack Reformed theology, and in my opinion, they just don't have a good grasp of what it is, mostly, and they don't uh, understand how to even respond to things like this. I'm sure he's been told this answer before. And, you know, anyway, it's just, it's ridiculous. Okay? All right. Yeah, it's pretty recent video, too, so he's apparently yeah. still... <laughs> He's apparently still out there saying the same thing, then. So, yeah, thank yeah, you so much yeah, for that answer. Yeah. Yeah, all right, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, God bless. All right, let's get back to Alberto yeah. from uh, someplace. So, okay, buddy, let's try it again. See how your connection is. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I have a right, Bluetooth. Better. That's what happens. Yes, my question oh. is again: is 
if a person is saved by faith through grace in Ephesians, and then the the the, the verse I was I got the wrong verse last time. That was in Matthew sixteen verse twenty four and twenty five. So if I'm saved by my faith through grace in Christ alone, then how come in uh, verse sixteen of Matthew verse twenty four and verse 25, in Matthew. Matthew 16, he's not talking about being saved. He's talking about being a disciple. I know. But, but, the, but verse 25 says, read it. Yeah, it says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. Yeah, and he's talking uh, before his crucifixion. He's talking about the, the discipleship issue and the cost of discipleship. And you're going to lose your life. What does it mean? Salvation? It doesn't say salvation there. A lot of people say, oh, it means you lose your salvation. Does it? If you lose your life, if he wishes to save his life, will lose it. Whoever wishes to lose, uh, loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what's he mean by that? that? He's talking about the cost of discipleship, which is severe. And too many Christians today don't understand that cost. And I'm not saying I've got it down. But I'm telling you, a lot of people don't understand that it means to pick up your cross daily, follow after him. And because uh, it says in Matthew 16, 24, and if you want to wish, keep your life, he's saying, because he's saying, look, what, what Jesus is really doing, he's saying, look, you got to understand something. you got to follow me. Are you willing to follow me even to death? Are you willing to? Or you want to keep your own life? Because if you're not going to follow me, even to the point of death, then you're not worthy of me. He wants complete and total commitment. That's the level that Jesus is requiring of his disciples, of his people. And this is what we have to seek for and strive for in our Christian walk. And so sometimes I wonder, if someone held a gun to my head and said, deny Jesus, what would I do? I can't tell you what I would do. I can only tell you what I hope I would do. And as a teacher in college, Rod Rosenblatt, a well-known Lutheran guy, when someone asked him in the class, Professor, Professor Rod, you know, if someone held a gun to your, hand, to your head and said, deny Jesus, what would you do? And the room went quiet, and he thought for a while, and he said, finally he said, if I deny Christ, it's because of my sin, and if I don't, it's because of his grace. And that's, it was a perfect answer. We don't know what we're going to do, but the, but the whole idea, about back to what Christ is saying, is to follow after him. To follow after him means to risk your life, even if that need be. Not every single day. But you need to be willing to be able to give up your life for the Lord Jesus. And that's the idea. And if he gives you that grace, should it ever be necessary to actually happen, then that's just between you and God. And that's really what's going on there, okay? Okay, but so, I know you're saying, but if you, if you, if you don't deny him, you, that means you truly are saved, but if, I thought you were saved by faith or grace, in other words, if you if you don't if you do deny you're still going to heaven, right? Because you remember that you say by faith through grace, not by well, your reaction, your response to the moment it's got that put a gun right. in your forehead. Right now, this is a complicated topic because someone could easily take those verses and say, "See, you have to earn your salvation. You can lose your salvation because if you don't follow Him, you're not going to be a disciple, and you're going to lose your life. You can lose your eternal life." They could say that. And I'll say, well, is that what it's teaching? It doesn't say anywhere that, uh, that uh, you, know, you lose your salvation. And he's not talking about losing salvation. He's talking about those who wish to come after him. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And so that's what he's saying. You've got to deny yourself. 
And that's what's well, going so on. So how do you come? So how, how do you compare these? The, how do you compare these the ministers today who are seeking more material wealth and prosperity, gospel preaching, and all that? They're not denying themselves and putting after Christ. Yeah, they're heretics. And so they're, 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 they're seeking more yeah. of the things of this world. Uh huh. They're Kenneth Copeland, heretic. Yeah. Joyce Meyer, heretic. Uh huh. There's a lot of heretics out there who are teaching false doctrine that God wants us to be healthy and wealthy and things like that. They don't sin anymore, you know, and and uh, false doctrines that they're teaching. Yeah, and they, the reason they succeed is because the Christian church is ignorant largely about what the truth is. They don't preach picking up your cross and follow after him into darkness, into danger into a long life of service to a sick family member or working well and hard in a job while you're providing for your family or doing the things that are necessary for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in difficulty. But no, they teach, hey, I don't sin anymore. And yeah, the Lord was telling me, blah, blah, blah. And God wants you to be healthy and wealthy because people want to be comforted. They don't know about that cross upon their backs and the splinters and the wood and the roughness and the weight of that cross. And as you move, it rubs up against your body and injures you. And Jesus says, pick it up and come after me. Because what he's saying is deny yourself. You've got to be willing to deny yourself in whatever station, whatever place you are. And the pastors who say, nope, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. God wants you to be healthy. Jesus wore designer robes. I've actually heard him say it. And the foolishness and the filth that they teach and it's part of the apostasy of the Christian church. So what Jesus is saying is talking about the cost of discipleship, and it's a severe cost. And that's why he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, you're going to prophesy, do many good works, etc. Just get away from me. I never knew you. Where's their hope? All right, buddy. There's a break, man. we got to go. All right, thank you. God All, right, All right. Hey, folks, wide open lines, five lines. If you want to give me a call, 877 207-2276. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the show. If you want to give me a call, we have wide open lines, 877 2276. You know, I was thinking about something in the break there, the uh, the issue of the parables. And I thought what I would do is teach on the unjust steward out of Luke 16, 1 through 8. The unjust steward is where Jesus praises a guy for his dishonesty. For real. What I want to do is read it. And then I'll go through and explain it so that you understand what's going on. Because the parables are awesome. Now, when the one person called earlier, why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, it was so people would not be saved. But that's not the only reason. Parables are time bombs in the sense that they are messages and ideas that need to be taught and understood. And that you think about them and you learn through them. That They're really deep. Now, this is what, uh, out of Luke 16... Now, he was also saying this to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and the steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. 
And the steward said to himself, What shall I do since my master has taken the stewardship away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to them, to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward, because he acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now, isn't that interesting? So let me go through this, and I'm going to explain what's going on, because believe it or not, this is actually a very interesting parable that when you understand the context and what's going on, and a little bit more what's in the text, then you, it'll make sense. So he says there was a rich man and who had a steward or a manager, is another way of saying it, and he said he was squandering his possessions. You can understand the culture here. So a rich man like who would own a lot of land. And what they would do is they would parcel out the land to different people who would live on the land, have a dwelling on it with their families. They would work the land, and then they would give a certain percentage of the produce of the land to the landowner. And then they would keep a percentage for themselves. So they were able to produce for the landowner as well as their own selves and their families and provide. And so in this sense, everyone was winning. Now the thing is, a steward or a manager is someone who was the go-between between the tenants and the landowner. The landowner wouldn't do all the business personally. He would hire someone to go out and do all this. You keep the records. You go talk to them because he'd have to go from place to place over this area of land. And then he would have to keep records and who did what. But turns out that this steward was a bad guy. Now, the landowner doesn't know if he is or isn't. He says, what's this I hear about you? He's hearing it. Give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be manager. He wants to see the facts. Now, the manager is in trouble. He said, I, what, what shall I do? My master is taking management away from me. I, I don't, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So he doesn't have the ability to take care of himself outside of this job he's got. And apparently he's doing some bad stuff. Now, you understand something. The steward represents the landowner. This is a critical comment. Okay, He goes, I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from the management, people will help welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to him, to the first, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill and quite write down 50. Now, also, the, the steward, the land manager, would also work on behalf of the land workers, of the tenants in the land. And he would communicate his their will or their desires or their issues to the landowner, who would then make decisions, and then the steward would carry them out. So the steward was, in a sense, a mediator between the two, and he would talk from the landowner to the people and the people to the landowner. So if the steward came to the land, uh, to the, uh, the, the people who lived on the land were working the land, the workers, and he said, look, 
Right. How much you owe? This much? Okay, write it in half. One of the things that they're probably going to assume is that he negotiated a deal with the landowner on their behalf because the landowner is not going to voluntarily do that because they want their money. And the rich were often oppressors of the of the uh, the poor. So now all of a sudden, he, the steward knows that they are going to think that he negotiated a deal with the landowner. They're going to love the uh, the steward. They're going to say, "You're a great guy." Now he knows this, all right. And he said to another, "How much do you owe?" And he said, "A hundred measures of wheat." He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, this is what's interesting. And the master praised the unrighteous manager. What? Why would he do that? Now, here's why. Because he acted shrewdly, it says. Now, why? What's going on? The, in the, repu- in the uh, culture, the reputation of the landowner and of men in general was very important, particularly if you had a stature of ownership, of land ownership, or whatever it was that you had that gave you stature in that culture in that time. And so his reputation was very, very important. He had to be a man of integrity, a man of honesty, etc. Now, people are going to be thinking, hold on a sec. There we go. People are going to be thinking that the landowner approved of and or initiated the the merciful idea of reducing the debts so the people who are working the land don't know if for sure if it was the steward's idea though it's probably going to be one of the things they're going to think or if it was a landowner's initiation but probably not that but it doesn't matter now what are they going to be doing these workers they're going to be rejoicing saying the landowner approved of this, he's a great guy. And the steward, he's a great guy too. Let's have a party, let's rejoice. Now, what happens when the landowner finds out about this? What's he going to do? Hey, I want everybody to pay me what they owe me anyway. His reputation now is uh, sullied because now he has been caught with a steward who lied and misrepresented him. Then the landowner got busted by the failure of himself to know if this guy was good or not. So his reputation would be uh, sullied or dirtied. The, and the landowner, I mean, the steward knows this. So he's counting on the goodness of the landowner and his integrity to say, okay, man, you're smart. In, in private room, you know, you could say, yep, yeah, you're smart. Okay, uh-huh. I can't say anything because if I do, then I'm going to look bad. And here you're looking good. Well, you're out of here anyway, so you got to go. Now, what's the landowner going to do? He's stuck. And the steward, he gets to go out there, and he's got a place to go. Because now the people will take him into their homes. Hey, you worked this great deal. You saved us you know, years of work and years of debt or whatever. Now, he says, And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, the people of this age, because in this age is corruption and sin and things like this. These are the unbelievers. They're more shrewd in how they work with their with themselves than are the sons of light. And he says in verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, this is interesting because this is what Jesus says. He says, 
make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails they will receive you into eternal dwellings what's he talking about eternal dwellings he talked about salvation here now people will say you know what when you come to Christ the only way to come to Christ is with sincerity not because you're afraid of hell because that's not you don't want to be afraid of hell that's not true salvation if you I don't want to go to hell so I'm gonna trust in Jesus that's not true I've had people say that well wait a minute this man here the unrighteous steward says I don't want to be caught I don't want to be in trouble so I'm gonna take care of it so Jesus right now is even saying in this parable of Luke 16 1 through 9 he's saying look he's saying look you have got to understand what the nature of the eternal dwellings are it is so serious that you better make sure you get in you better make sure that even by your means of unrighteousness here you get into the kingdom not he's not saying by deception and hook and crook but what he's saying is look at how they are look at how the unbelievers are they're smart and you sons of light you Jews you're not even getting it they're more shrewd than you are and by the unrighteousness that they have and they get in that's okay now he's not saying you get in by deception because it's only through Christ that's not what he's saying he's saying you need to pay attention of how serious an issue this is he's saying to the Jews you're the sons of light and you don't even have this you don't even know you don't understand how serious this is you better wake up that's what he's saying so this parable is a fascinating parable when you understand the context the culture it opens up and you go oh I get it it's not that Jesus was approving of wickedness or deception what he was approving of was and this is a parable he invented and he came up with and what he's teaching is you better make sure that in the afterlife you go to the good place the eternal dwellings that's what he's saying even if it's in a, a, a shady way you gotta make sure you're in that's how important it is and that's the point he's trying to illustrate to them he's saying you're not shrewd you're not shrewd and to the Jews because they're self-righteous and so this is what's going on in the parable now I love the parables because the parables to me are magnificent teaching opportunities and I love teaching on them and I love preaching through them and a lot of times people don't understand the cultural context and they're little gems like that like for example the Good Samaritan so when the Good Samaritan comes and finds this victim he's unconscious and naked the reason that's important is because if he's unconscious you can't tell where he's from by his accent and if he's naked you can't tell where he's from by his clothing so you don't know if he's a good guy bad guy who or what he's just a person and the Samaritan takes care of him the Samaritans were hated by the Jews and so this could be a Jew a Samaritan could be someone else could be Egyptian could be Syrian could be a Jew right there we don't know and this he so naked and unconscious is significant and there's so many things and my favorite of all of these accounts though in the cultural context is the woman who came into the place where Jesus was having that dinner with Simon the Pharisee and she let her hair down I love love that whole story because of the greatness of what she did in the light of the failures of others it was a magnificent account of truth I love that 
Anyway, there you go. I hope that was interesting, and that it was to you. May the Lord bless you, indeed, and by His grace, we'll be back on the air tomorrow. Tonight, I'm teaching on uh, continuing from the book of Romans, chapter 1, and you can check that out. All you can do is go to the CARM page, forward slash calendar, and information will be there. God bless everybody. Talk to you tomorrow. See you. Another program powered by the Truth Network.